This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 127 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Disinformation campaigns are in the news, starting with the 2016 U.S. election cycle, continuing in 2018, and now looking ahead to 2020, the threat of online influence operations from foreign adversaries has been top of mind. But there's a different kind of disinformation for sale on the dark web. Researchers from Recorded Futures Insect Group engaged with two threat actors selling their wares on Russian-speaking underground forums. They discovered that disinformation campaigns are readily available, not terribly expensive, and potentially highly effective. Roman Sanikov is Director of Analyst Services at Recorded Future, and he shares what they found. Stay with us. So this is a topic that we've been investigating for some time. But um, as you can imagine, after kind of uh, things that have uh, come to light uh, from uh, 2014, 2016 on, uh, a lot of the focus on disinformation and influence operations have been primarily on the public sector, uh, which is certainly warranted. That's uh, very important uh, to make sure that elections and referendums and things like that are conducted uh, without uh, external influence. Uh, But I think that, uh, or we as a company, uh, felt that there was not enough focus on the dangers to the private sector um, of these various uh, operations as well. Um, So that's where our investigation took us, was um, we looked at some of the threat actors that are currently operating on uh, primarily the Russian-speaking underground forums um, and uh, just in Eastern Europe in general, and uh, the things that they claim they could do uh, in terms of uh, kind of manipulating things in the private sector as well, uh, both promoting, but even more so, most of the stress is really about kind of taking down and discrediting uh, various uh, entities, companies, organizations. So uh, that was the kind of goal of our research, was to see if the claims that these companies are, or rather these kind of threat actors, these entities are uh, putting out there, uh, is there any merit to these claims? Hmm. And I think that um, our research has kind of borne out that there are threat actors that are willing to to run these types of campaigns, uh, and uh, it appears that they're able to do so as well. And the kind of scary part is that uh, the whole process took us um, about six weeks from kind of the beginning of the negotiations to when we kind of got our final result, uh, and the cost for both segments of our research, both the kind of increasing the visibility, the the PR rather, of the uh, fictitious entity we created and the uh, discrediting of that same entity subsequently, uh, it only cost us about $6,000 U.S., Let's walk through it together here, step by step. Um, You all had to uh, come up with some clever ways uh, at the outset to uh, to sort of establish uh, an organization. Walk us through what you did here. 
Sure. So um, again, the companies um, were out there on these uh, kind of the dark web forums and the underground forums, and they claimed that they uh, were willing to uh, do various services, various disinformation influence campaigns uh, for the private sector. So um, when we reached out to them, we kind of engaged them uh, separately. These two, these are two uh, threat actors that obviously did not know that we were kind of playing both sides of the coin here um, and uh, we want to get a sense of what they claimed they could do um, and some of the things that uh, really attracted us to these entities was that they that they have a certain level of uh, reputation on the underground forums so uh, especially the one that focused on the uh, kind of the discrediting the second part of our investigation they um, had, uh, I believe, approximately four years that they were um, on this forum, uh, maybe even longer. But um, what we did was we reached out to them and we kind of got a sense of what they claimed they could do. One of the things that they said they could do was that they could publish articles in actual traditional uh, media uh, that would support our campaigns and we asked if we could uh, kind of see uh, what those uh, kind of articles uh, were if they could show us any of their past efforts and uh, both of these uh, threat actors uh, they demurred uh, they cited uh, uh, client confidentiality so at that point we realized that in order to really assess whether they were able to actually carry out any of these campaigns that we would have to create kind of a dummy entity profile for a dummy entity. Um, so we created a company that we told them was based in uh, the UK, that it was a new company that we were starting out or had just uh, created, uh, depending on kind of which threat actor we were talking to. The company was a temp agency. The reason we we based it in the United Kingdom was because we wanted to see whether these, these threat actors could actually operate outside of Eastern Europe and kind of the Russian language uh, landscape, whether they were able to do the same thing in the West. Uh, they uh, claimed they were willing to do so and that they were able to do so, saying that they had uh, journalists and investigators and people like that on retainer who could write articles uh, and could then kind of promote those articles on social media. Hmm. Um, so we created this company. Uh, again, it was a temp agency company. We tried to find something that would not actually interfere with any kind of real world experiences. Obviously, we didn't promote the company um, ourselves because we didn't want to get into a situation where anyone who was actually looking for a job uh, was somehow negatively affected uh, mm. by our research. So we tried to be as cautious as possible when it came to that. But um, that's, the, that's the entity that we uh, came up with. Now, did you create... Uh... Uh, you know, a, a web page, any social media presence for this company that you spun up? 
So we did create a, uh, create a web page. Uh, we attempted to create some social media because one of the things that the company uh, that uh, did the promotion uh, said was that they could create a profile for us as well, not simply get us likes and shares and tweets and things like that, but that they could uh, create uh, our profile mm -hmm. and we decided that we were going to first try to do it ourselves so that we can see how difficult that was because obviously if this is something that was relatively easy we didn't want to really focus too much attention on that um, we found out that it wasn't as easy as uh, people might think uh, social media companies have become more savvy and uh, it actually took us uh, a couple of uh, attempts to create a uh, social media profile uh, and we were not able to uh, do anything lasting. Basically, uh, mm. our uh, profile kept getting blocked after a day or two. Oh, interesting. At this point, we reached out, uh, reached back out to the PR company and uh, we told them, hey, we're having some issues. Can you go ahead and create the profile for us? Uh, which they did within a few days. Um, so again, that kind of stressed to us that they have uh, their own kind of methodology uh, and their ability to create these uh, profiles fairly uh, expeditiously. You reached out to two different suppliers of these services, and, and one of them you asked to do positive reputation work, and one you asked to do negative reputation work. Take us through each of those. So the idea was uh, with the first company, the positive kind of enhancement of our reputation was that we were creating this company, that it was uh, uh, that we were uh, Russian-speaking individuals who were working in the United Kingdom, and we were targeting primarily um, our kind of the expat community, other people from uh, Russian-language uh, countries or Eastern Europe um, who may be traveling to the United Kingdom them looking for part-time work or temporary work and that uh, uh, it was being kind of difficult for us to promote the company legitimately and so we wanted their assistance uh, to promote the company uh, to kind of um, expedite the growth of um, our uh, social media profile etc. And one of the things that they offered was, in addition to the various social media services, uh, again, the creating the profile, getting us uh, likes, getting us uh, positive reviews and feedback, they said that they could publish uh, positive articles about our company uh, in uh, traditional media sources, which would then be reposted uh, by their network um, in social media, uh, which would, again, amplify those efforts. And so that's something that, that we did. Uh, it took us a little while. We didn't direct them to post in any specific uh, traditional media uh, outlet, uh, but um, our budget for this was relatively small. So we kind of told them what the figure we could spend on this was and told them where the company uh, is based. And uh, they're the ones that chose a couple of outlets in the United Kingdom uh, that they promoted, that they uh, placed these articles for, which they then promoted in social media, uh, enhancing kind of the reputation of our fictitious company. How would you rank the effectiveness? Is, is there any way to do that? 
Well, since we don't have um, actual clients, uh, it's uh, difficult to say uh, uh, for certain uh, how this would have affected uh, the company. Again, we didn't want to leave it out there for too long because we didn't want to have any kind of real impact on people in the real world. Uh, we were trying to keep this as contained as possible. Uh, but we were really impressed uh, with the fact of how quick and how easy the process was. Um, and the fact that the company, this uh, again, this positive reputation enhancement company, was also, they seemed quite professional. Uh, there was some issue with one of the articles that they wrote. They uh, sent it to us to proofread initially. Uh, we thought that the English was not um, was not polished enough. There were too many kind of grammatical mistakes, and uh, just the language itself was a little uh, awkward. Would not have, uh, I think, passed mustard as someone who uh, was a native um, English speaker, and so they got came back to us within a day or two with an updated version uh, that seemed very passable. Um, so the whole process was really took us between the end of the negotiation with this company and when they actually showed us the um, the articles and their efforts to promote us, it only took about seven to ten business days. Um, so we were really impressed by, by that. They seemed to know uh, what they were doing. Now, how about the, the company that you engaged with for the negative information campaign? What was that experience like? So just before we jump to that company, I also want to mention that the company that did do the positive PR, mm -hmm. they said that they also do negative. I think it's kind of important to stress that these companies primarily focus on taking down competition. So while they do positive as well, their real focus is on kind of digging up dirt, uh, planting dirt, things like that. Um, so, hmm. but uh, because we wanted to uh, check multiple companies, obviously we reached out to this second company saying that we were a competitor of this uh, temp agency and, uh, you know, they stole some of our ideas or clients or something like that. And we had some sort of both kind of professional and personal animosity uh, towards them. Um, so we asked this other company uh, to basically discredit and uh, kind of ruin the reputation uh, of this new temp agency before they really uh, kind of got off the ground. Um, one of the things that uh, really impressed us was the company really kind of uh, the second company, the one that did the discrediting, the kind of uh, damaging our reputation uh, really told us, okay, you need to do this, you need to do this, uh, this is the way we're going to do it. So uh, it really seemed that they had a pretty good idea and understanding of how these things worked, uh, what it took to damage a company's reputation. Uh, one of the things that they kind of almost pushed on us uh, was that they could file all sorts of uh, fake claims of abuse uh, with local law enforcement claiming that we were engaged in all sorts of uh, unethical and even illegal practices. They even, I think at one point, said that they could uh, make claims uh, to local law enforcement that could potentially result in jail time and all sorts mm. of things like that. Obviously, uh, because we did not want to get law enforcement involved and we did not want 
want to create any kind of um, uh, any kind of legal issues. Uh, we certainly told them that we did not want to engage in anything quite that serious, uh, but I think it's important to put out there that this was something that they uh, felt very comfortable doing and were actually kind of pushing us in that direction because I guess they felt that that would really put the nail in the coffin of the company that we were trying to uh, discredit. Was there any sense on your side that these companies were doing any vetting of you? Um, not in this case. Uh, it was really fairly formulaic. It seemed like they have certain packages um, and they said, okay, uh, this will cost this much, this will cost this much. Um, I didn't see a ton of uh, operational security on their part. Um, I think the way they see themselves as operating in a sort of kind of gray market area, uh, you know, they weren't talking to us about um, hacking anything. Um, they uh, were uh, really doing something that they probably don't see a, a lot of threat uh, to themselves over. Uh, I don't think it appears that these companies are somewhere are based primarily in the uh, Russian-speaking uh, world, so in the former Soviet Union, uh, and we really got the sense that they didn't think that law enforcement was going to be banging down their door um, over uh, any of these uh, operations that they were engaged in. You know, I, I'm curious um, on the differentiation, particularly when it comes to the folks who are doing the positive promotion, how is that different than just hiring a PR company? Well, um, I think what they're doing is they're, I guess maybe you could say PR, you know, plus, 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 because mm. they're doing a lot of things that I think a normal uh, PR company uh, probably would find unethical. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I think they were using a lot of the social media promotion was done by, uh, by bots uh, or by compromised accounts or by accounts that simply were not um, under the control of the individuals they purported to be under control. Um, certainly also uh, planting uh, articles. Uh, about our company. Um, some of the articles included fictitious interviews with uh, individuals in our company or individuals who, uh, in the case of discrediting our company, uh, the, the negative kind of reputation takedown, uh, they purportedly interviewed a one of our clients uh, who said all sorts of uh, terrible, talked about all sorts of terrible experiences that she had with our company, etc. So I would think that uh, even in the case of the promotion, I would think or I would hope that most PR companies aren't going to kind of go to that level where they're writing uh, fake uh, articles and uh, placing them in publications and then uh, magnifying those fake articles by uh, citing them and linking them uh, in social media. Yeah, it really strikes me, uh, looking through this research, uh, just how easy it was to do this and relatively inexpensive. I mean, what are some of the, the take-homes for you in, in terms of companies being on the lookout for this sort of thing and, and even their ability to defend themselves against it. Absolutely. That's uh, really something that um, 
shocked and disturbed us as well. The whole investigation took a little over six weeks uh, for the both positive and negative combined um, and cost a little over $6,000. Once we actually got to the point where we created our company, negotiated with them, etc., the actual process took closer to uh, seven to ten business days. So again, these are companies that, or these are threat actors as we call them, who seem to know what they're doing. This isn't something that they had to kind of reinvent the wheel whenever they're doing this. Uh, They literally kind of checked the boxes for us uh, in terms of what we wanted to do, how much we wanted to pay. Um, And I think what um, I've been talking to my colleagues about this, and to me, it kind of reminds Reminds me of where uh, DDoS uh, distributed denial of service was uh, maybe six to eight years ago, mm-hmm. where I remember seeing ads for DDoS services on various platforms had nothing to do with cybercrime. So you would have various kind of um, fan platforms or platforms about certain uh, kind of uh, hobby platforms where people, these threat actors would be advertising, hey, do you want to take down your competitor down the street or the restaurant or this or that, Um, you know, use our DDoS services. Uh, And it was very inexpensive. It was very easy. And this seems to be following the same kind of trajectory where these threat actors, now that there's been so much news in the West about what can be done with social media manipulation and disinformation and things like that, that to some extent they're hoping to cash in on this, uh, you know, this newfound fame uh, that uh, that they have uh, and really enter the market where, you know, your average store uh, or your average, uh, you know, restaurant or retail establishment uh, can potentially uh, run a campaign against uh, a competitor uh, of theirs uh, for, again, not a lot of money. The positive information campaign costs a little over $2,000 and the negative campaign costs a little over $3,000. So you're really uh, not a huge amount of investment uh, in that. Um, In terms of how companies might deal with something like that, I think it really underscores that everybody has to be really kind of laser focused on any kind of uh, uh, erroneous information that may be out there about them and that they have to, every organization, uh, any time that they see anything that is uh, not correct, it really behooves them uh, to reach out to the sources, uh, whether it be uh, kind of mainstream uh, media uh, to, you know, address any articles uh, that may not be legitimate articles. I'm not talking about, obviously, legitimate um, journalism that they may not like, uh, but talking about articles that um, are clearly uh, not journalism, but are rather, you know, pieces that are out there uh, specifically uh, promoting fake information about a company. Uh, And they really have to try to take that down before it gains traction on social media, because these 
companies are specifically using social media to amplify uh, this type of information. Um, the articles that we saw, uh, I think uh, one of them had a, in fine print, had the word sponsored on it, which was very easy to overlook. Um, and I think at least two of the other articles did not have any kind of warning that this had been, uh, you know, paid for content in any way. So certainly someone who sees a post with uh, some sort of either negative or positive content about a company, about an entity, uh, and they see this kind of um, uh, image that appears to be coming from a legitimate news source, chances are they might not even click on that image because they will assume that the post really summarizes the content of that uh, image, especially if it is kind of in keeping with the headline that they see um, uh, from that uh, seemingly legitimate traditional media article. Um, so you have the situation where the social media is really amplifying the uh, the fake information, and then potentially then that information, that social media campaign will then be picked up again by traditional media, creating this, this loop of misinformation. And it's, it's worth noting that these, these organizations are, are running the way legitimate companies run. I mean, you, throughout this process, you felt as though you were getting a good return on the money you were spending, you were getting good customer service, all, all those types of things. Absolutely. They really appear to be working like legitimate uh, companies uh, as opposed to some threat actors that, um, you know, you'll send them money, they'll disappear, uh, sometimes for good, sometimes just uh, are very uh, lax in uh, responding. Uh, both of these uh, threat actors, uh, both of these companies uh, were, were quite responsive uh, when we had an issue with the one translation that I mentioned uh, they uh, fixed it within a day or two, um, and um, all four of the articles were published, uh, two uh, for the positive, two the negative, uh, in uh, these uh, legitimate news outlets. Uh, and uh, certainly, in fact, they gave us some advice about how we should run these campaigns. Um, so it really seems like these are established entities uh, that are doing things that uh, they do well. And some of the questions we're getting is, again, how do you combat this? How do you deal with this? And uh, what we've been saying really is that awareness uh, and vigilance is paramount in this instance. Uh, anytime you see something that you believe is a disinformation campaign, uh, that uh, the victims uh, should reach out to uh, wherever they find this information. Obviously, hopefully, traditional media media companies will take this uh, very seriously, uh, will maybe review some of their own practices. And I think that reaching out to the social media organizations will help them identify these networks that are um, helping spread this type of disinformation uh, and help them kind of root out uh, some of these uh, entities that are not legitimate users of their platforms. Our thanks to Roman Sanikov for joining us. The research is titled The Price of Influence, Disinformation in the Private Sector. You can find it on the Recorded Future website. 
Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.